Greetings all God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we are now in lesson 59, and last time we were in Ezekiel 43, and we reached uh, verse 20, let's uh, pick it up uh, from verse 20, where God is giving instructions to uh, Ezekiel to give to the priests, to the house of Sadok, and from that uh, house came the Sadducees, uh, that's Dokim in Hebrew, because they came from the house of Sadok. And God, in spite of all their uh, misunderstanding on some scriptures here and there, even though when he came in the flesh he told them that, you, you know, you do not know the scriptures, in other words, you don't know it as, as much as you should, it's not that they didn't know anything, but they were mixed up because of uh, somebody in their midst, somewhere along the line that they injected that uh, understanding uh, to them, which is a misunderstanding, that only the law of Moses can be trusted and anything that came after that cannot, and that created problems for them. And that's what happens when people listen to people instead of to God. And yet, they were basically, uh, apart from uh, certain problems that they had, they were faithful. And that's the way God concluded them. And it's not that men did, God did. Even though he corrected them. And so, we read in verse 20, You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. In other words, he's speaking to them, but uh, let's pick it up actually from verse 18, so we can have a continuity there. In verse 18, and he said to me, Son of man, thus says the eternal God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made. In other words, once they put the altar together again in the new temple, uh, this is the ordinance of it. Uh, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it because God is going to atone for all the sins of his church who are now physical and yet he's going to give them the Holy Spirit just like we are today in the past 2,000 years the church of God that is the fragment of us uh, we may, you know, we're all just fragments of it the entirety of it is yet to be formed and the final phase of it is going to be in the second resurrection and it is uh, in stages. And so it has to be understood from that point of view. Just like every day God is adding the past 2,000 years to the ones who are joining the bride, which means that it's not a one-time event. Uh, the one-time event is the marriage ceremony, but the continuity of the marriage, unlike, unlike men and a woman, when they marry, that's a one-time event and that's it. They don't every day add another one to the marriage. But with God, it's a different story. So we should not uh, take it all to an extreme when it comes to any analogy that God gives us. This is what confuses people. And uh, he, he told them that basically this is what the, the ordinance of the sacrifices should be in for the altar. Verse 19, He shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Sadok, who approach me to minister to me says the eternal God. Now, this statement would not make sense until you go further later on, where God is making a point. Only one faction of the priesthood is loyal to me, and they're going to approach me and offer the sacrifice before me. As for the others who are not as faithful, God said, I don't want you around me, he said. You're going to offer the sacrifices of the people, and we're going to read it later on. And that's what I was saying about the house of Sadok. Even though they had some problems, Still, God found them to be uh, overall faithful in many ways, to the point where he remembered that at the end of time, and he told them, you come before me and serve me. As for the others of your brethren, uh, priests and Levites, 
Uh, they're going to serve their brethren, children of Israel, but not me. In other words, they're going to offer the sacrifices for them. But these are the sacrifices that you offer only to God. And it's not uh, something that the people bring the offerings, you know, their own offerings uh, to offer to God. Verse 20. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make an atonement for it. And so, when we read the scriptures, we have to read all this from God's point of view. Because a lot of people misunderstand this very doctrine, that this, very, this part of the law of God. And as I mentioned uh, last time, uh, the Torah is a generic name for the entirety of the body of instructions. Now within it there are subdivisions, and each one of them is called the Torah. Is a Torah for marriage, a Torah for the sacrifices, a Torah for the temple, a Torah for this and a Torah for that. So, uh, this is the Torah of the, of the temple, of the sacrifices. And, as far as that is concerned, when God in the flesh said, Think not that I came to destroy the Torah or the prophets, he talked about the entirety of it. I included the sacrifices. He said, not one jot or one tittle, not one tiny little uh, I, uh, pointer that is yod in Hebrew and uh, you know all those uh, markings that they have on top for chanting and uh, for reading he said not one tiny little thing is going to be depart from the law until all is fulfilled because everything has a purpose and people do not know the word of God as they should from the be- you know from the beginning until the end the entirety of the story they don't understand it and so they don't understand what the apostles are talking about uh, in terms of the sacrifices and their need and, and their uh, time element. And what was done away with and what was not done away with. And then verse 21. Then you shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. Now mind you, all that is in the days when when the Redeemer of Israel, when Jesus Christ, who comes down to this earth and brings salvation to his people and his land, is there and his people are there and the marriage is already uh, taking place and these are his people his wife Israel physical Israel who have the Holy Spirit because God is going to pour is going to pour his spirit upon all flesh and yet there's still flesh and blood and there are lessons that need to be learned there and from the point of view of God that's the way it's going to be and you know people should not be arguing with God and inventing their own doctrine and uh, thinking well uh, in the New Testament it says such and such. Well, you just don't understand what it says. That's all there is to it. No more than the people of, of, uh, of Christ at the time, as you know, he came to his own, they're his people. They did not understand many of the things that he said, and for that matter, even his own disciples didn't understand many things that he said, and he had to explain to them. And so, we too need to be, uh, a lot of things have to be explained to us properly, not improperly, as many things have been explained. And so in, in verse 22, on the second day, well actually in verse 21, then you shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. And on the second day you shall offer a kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering. And they shall cleanse the altar as they cleanse it with the bull. In other words, after the bull, one day and the second day is the goat. And verse 23, and when you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. And when you read all these things, then you begin to understand when you come to the New Testament what it means that Christ is going to 
to cleanse and purge his bride so she will be without spot and without blemish. This is a part of it. And people that don't know the whole story don't understand what they are reading. I think everything is spiritual, just spiritual. Well, the meek shall inherit the earth, and the earth is not spiritual, the earth is physical. So the two go together. And verse uh, 24, When you offer them before the eternal, the priests shall throw salt on them, and all the things have meanings. Uh, when we come back to the study of the law later on and go through the book of Leviticus, we're going to explain all these things so you can have a better understanding of every single item and what it means. But not at this point. And they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the eternal. Every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat. Remember the goat of the Day of Atonement? That's what it is. It is linked to that. A goat. You see? There was a lamb that was offered in Passover. But there is also a goat on, on, uh, on the Day of Atonement. And that was enacted every single year. The forgiveness, the atonement, the cleansing, the purging, the purification, the removing of every spot and every you know, uh, blemish from the bride of God, from the wife of God. This is what it is all about. God never rejected his people. The whole thing was a part of the plan. And only the unlearned told lies, believed lies, were deceived and deceived others. And we must come out of this Babylonish, you know, confusion. That's what God is telling us. And so he says, you're going to do it for seven days. And uh, 25, verse 25, Every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering, and they shall also prepare a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without blemish. That's how Christ is going to make his bride without spot and without blemish. Not only by his body, but also by those things that represented his body. The physical things, the physical animals that he had chosen. All those things are, ultimately speaking, are spiritual because there's spiritual concept in it and spiritual context and spiritual connotation. That's why Paul was telling the Corinthians who were ignorant and unlearned because they were not of the Jewish community. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant because you are. You don't know the background. You don't know the whole story. And so he told them First 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and I mentioned that several times in verses 1 and 4. But our fathers, you know, who came out of the land of Egypt, you know, they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the water, you know, and they all followed, uh, that, they all ate that uh, spiritual drink and, uh, and, uh, I mean, they all ate that spiritual food and drank that spiritual drink and they all followed the spiritual walk. Everything was spiritual. Even though there were physical things, but they all had spiritual meaning. Just the eyes of many were not open as they should be, but it was nevertheless spiritual to begin with. That's like the very body of Christ that was offered, that it was a physical thing, it was all spiritual. Meaning, context, element, you know, in it, understanding. And so the two go together. That's how God works. And people are, who are ignorant and unlearned to spiritualize everything. And so they take a Sabbath that God commanded for all to keep. And without it, there is no kingdom for them. And they say, well, I'm spiritual, I don't need to keep the Sabbath. Well, that shows you that they are unlearned, barbarians. As they used to call them in the old day, in the old times. And verse 26, Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it and so consecrate it. Verse 27, When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day, and thereafter that the priest shall offer 
your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar and I will accept you. Says the eternal God is speaking to Ezekiel who is a priest who is going to do all those things in the name of the nation and God is telling him as a representative of the nation I'm going to accept you. We still don't know all the parts of the kingdom to come and there are many things and many elements that are there. And we read it in the scriptures, as Paul said, well, we just see darkly. We don't know all the details, but at least we get a lot of indications. And people that just read over it, they don't understand what they're reading. And especially those that believe the lie, and be it in the house of Israel or the house of Judah, that people go to heaven. So they don't understand the scriptures, because they don't see Ezekiel there. The thing is in heaven. So they read these words, and they don't even get it properly. Because all are in Babylon. The whole house of Israel is in Babylon. God said, you come out of Babylon. And even those who have the Spirit of God are still in Babylon to a degree. Now let's go to chapter uh, 44 and continue the story. Now let's see throughout all these scriptures and statements that what Christ said, he meant it. Don't think that I can destroy the Torah or the prophets. All the things that we are reading, he didn't come to destroy it, he came to magnify it. And so in magnifying it, this is what he was doing, what we are doing now. And so much more so that he did things that people did not understand. And then he goes through the book of Hebrews and you see Paul magnifying a lot of those things. He didn't come to do away with it, but to magnify it. And without that, you know, the so-called New Testament would never come to being. You know, unless you pick up the, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures and magnify them, uh, what New Testament do you have? So when people say, you know, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament, give me the New Testament, they're blind and ignorant and barbarians. That's the reason why they speak like that. They're unlearned. Chapter 44. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Eternal said to me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the eternal God, the Redeemer, the Savior of Jesus Christ, is the only one. Because the eternal God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut all week, except the Sabbath and the holy days and the new moons. That gate will be only for the Redeemer of Israel, the husband of Israel. And the only way he's going to come into his temple, where his wife is going to assemble before him every Sabbath and new moon and holy days, is through that gate. So you see, from the beginning, the whole uh, story was already there as you went along. You didn't have to wait, to wait until the end of the book, you know, to find out uh, the end of the story. God constantly, throughout the whole book, was giving us a lot of information that only the wise were able to understand, and the fools were not, and the blind were not, and the deaf and the dumb were not. And verse 3, as for the prince... Because he is the prince, he may sit in it, and speaking about the ruler of the nation, this is a physical one, it's not speaking about King David, who is a spiritual prince, but he's talking about the physical leader of the nation. As for the prince, that is the ruler of the nation, because he is the, uh, the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the eternal. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule, of the gateway, of the gateway, and go out the same way. And so the leader of the nation, uh, representing the entirety of the nation, is coming before God every Sabbath and every new moon and every holiday. And since the whole nation cannot come there, he is in essence a representative of the whole nation. And that's uh, symbolically of the intimacy of the marriage. 
Well, the husband and wife come together and eat together. You know, the family that eats together stays together. And, and he comes and he eats before God. So food was a part of the, the relationship. You see the intimacy of the marriage there. And so he's going to come before God and sit there and eat. And have meal with God. And God is going to sit on the other side of the table, so to speak. They're going to eat together and discuss things. And in verse 4, also he brought me by way of the north gate to the, to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of the eternal filled the house of the eternal and fell, and I fell on my face. Now, yes, it's a vision, but it's so real to Ezekiel. And as he goes through all that, just like John later on, Revelation, it's real as he goes through it. Because God brings the future, you know, sort of back to the future. He brings the future into that time, and it is reality. And God can put it together. You know, he's capable of doing it. And so Ezekiel is going through a real experience. Even though it didn't happen in terms of what is going to happen in the future. But as far as he was concerned, it happened. Just like in the transfiguration. When the disciples saw, they saw Christ being transfigured and becoming glorified. And they saw Moses and saw Elijah. They were discussing things. And that was a real experience. Not an imaginary one, though it was a vision. You know, God can do all those things. We cannot. And so, he fell on his face. And verse 5, And the Eternal said to me, Son of man, mark well. See with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Eternal. You see, in my Father's house there are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare them for you. This is what, what Christ is talking about. And if you don't understand the whole story, you don't know what he's talking about. And people think, oh, he's going up to heaven. He's going to prepare all those rooms there. You know, and he's going to go through the pearly gates and meet Peter and all that. Uh, you know, well, you can, you can call it wherever you want to call it. But God calls it vomit. Iniquity, abominations, lies, deceptions, ignorance, blindness. You know, radical children were unlearned. But this is real. And so he says, you write all those things. And they write the ordinances of the house of the eternal and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary. So observe all those things. God, in essence, cre recreated, so to speak, uh, the future reality and brought it at that time before Ezekiel to see. So it's a real experience that he's going through. You know, virtual reality, you call it. Only of the God kind. Verse 6, now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, that is the entirety of them, thus says the eternal God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all of your abominations. You know, enough is enough. That's what God is saying to all of his people. I don't want to hear any more about Judaism or Christianity. You know, all the garbage that you, uh, you hit upon it, your own, you know, your own imaginations, your own lies, your own deceptions. I don't want to hear any more about that. And so God says in verse 7, When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in the flesh. So the things he used to do in the past. You know, there were times, like in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, where the priests were becoming Hellenized. And a lot of the Jews at the time even, uh, who were circumcised, uh, became uncircumcised, you know, through a special operation. So they wanted to look like all the others. So they could dress all the, you know, naked, around in the races naked and all that stuff. 
So he's telling them things in the past. And of course, to this very day, many Israelites say, who cares about circumcision? There are many Jews today. And not many in comparison to the majority of them, but, you know, a growing minority of them that is uh, abhorring this uh, concept, uh, you know, this command of uh, circumcision with all kind of lies that they invent. And they're speaking, uh, you know, in an evil way against it. And this is what God makes very plain. And so, you know, when you read that, he had to, later on, when he got to the New Testament about the issue of the circumcision, he had to understand it from God's point of view, the entirety of it. You know, at that time, they were not talking about the circumcision uh, for the Israelites, they were just talking about the, about the Gentiles, two different issues. And there are a lot of Israelites to this very day, well, you know, supposedly in the church of God, where the Spirit of God will say, well, that's not for me, I don't need to be circumcised. You know, it's, circumcision is done away with. All right, read this. This is the millennium that's spoken by Jesus Christ in the future, in the scenario of the virtual reality. Verse 7, when you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in the heart and uncircumcised in the flesh, to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my house, and when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all your abominations. That's why you did it, he said. Verse 8, and you have not kept charge of my holy things. But you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. The Greeks have done it. They were allowed to do it. And the Romans. And so forth. And Edomites. Verse 9. Thus is the Lord God, the eternal God. This is Jesus Christ speaking. This is the Redeemer of Israel. This is the God of Israel. And he has not changed. Past, present, or future. He said, I change not. So let's understand it from this point of view when we come to the New Testament. And so, reading something without background, not really knowing what we are reading. It says, Thus says the eternal God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in the heart, or uncircumcised in the flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. Nobody is allowed before God if he is uncircumcised in the flesh and in the spirit, in the heart. In other words, you've got to have the Holy Spirit when you come before him so that your heart has to be circumcised and also the physical circum circumcision must be there. The covenant that he made with Abraham. And nobody can enter into that covenant until he is circumcised. Speaking about his people Israel because that covenant was given to those who come out of his own body. The children of Abraham and the children of Isaac and the children of Jacob. And God says, that's the way it's going to be with my family, with my wife. You've got to be totally without spot and without blemish. And then he allowed uh, the grafted ones, the wild olive uh, branches, to come. And you have to understand it from the point of view of God, how God does the calling. When he called Abraham, Abraham was not circumcised for 25 years. And that's more than anything else that was the issue in the New Testament, and Paul was telling them, look, when Abraham was called, he was not circumcised, so don't make an issue you know, of it now. In other words, let them come. Let them be members of the faith. It's not circumcision that, that, uh, that uh, affects the calling. It's the calling itself. It's a justifying by faith. But then, like Abraham, then, when they come to know the knowledge of God and the will of God and the mind of God, 
And then you're going to carry, they're going to appear before God. And to begin with, the Gentiles who became uh, members of the body of Christ at the time, none of them, none of them was allowed into the temple. You know, that was only for Israelites who were circumcised. And so even though they were circumcised in the heart by faith, you know, by being justified by the blood of Christ and became members of the commonwealth of Israel, they still were not allowed and no apostle and no, you know, no disciples, no brother would have allowed them into the temple because, you know, they would have been killed and because it was against the law of God. You see, so they were able to be partakers of the commonwealth of Israel, but only to a point. And then if they wanted to go beyond that point and to go into the temple and to have that relationship with God within the temple like all the other apostles and disciples of Christ continue to have, then they had to go to the extra step, just like Abraham 25 years later had to go through it. So when we come to the New Testament, we have to understand the whole story. Paul is not going to come out of the blue and just say, well, no more circumcision. Not a person who has been raised as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who understood the law, who understood these very words that we are reading now. So you have to understand the whole story, what he was talking about there. And so God says very plainly, this is Jesus Christ speaking, the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel, the husband. He says in verse 9, No foreigner, uncircumcised in the heart, or uncircumcised in the flesh, plain words, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner, you know, who is among the children of Israel, which meant when the time came, and all the Gentiles, some were being called, that included them. They were not allowed into the temple, because though they were circumcised in the heart, they were not circumcised in the, in the flesh. And those who wanted to go beyond that had to circumcise also the flesh. There was no way around it. So you have to understand it from God's point of view. Not the partial knowledge that some people had, and therefore they did not really understand the issue. And what was it all about? Verse 10. And the Levites who went far from me. Now he's talking about the Levites that went far from him, and that were not faithful. When Israel went astray, who strayed away from me, you know, they became, continued to be with the house of Israel. When Israel went astray from me, after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall minister in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. You know, the servants who are going to do the cleaning and things like that. And they shall slay the burnt offerings, they're going to do the hard labor, and the sacrifice for the people. And they shall stand before them to minister to them. As we read before that. To them, in contrast of to me, in con- you know that is in, in contract, in contrast to me. And then verse twelve, because the minister to them before their idols, you know, just went along with it, and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. So who are the ones that are leading the people astray? The spiritual leaders, the Levites, the priests, the rabbis, the ministers, you know, the pastors, and so forth. They are the ones who lead the people astray. And so it says, verse 12, Because they ministered to them before their idols, and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them. You see how strongly he feels about that to the day of his coming. He swore by his name. He got so furious at that. 
at the leaders and what they've done. And he was not about to forgive them ever that iniquity. And so he said, because they have led the house of Israel into iniquity, I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the eternal God, that they shall bear their iniquity. I'm not going to forgive them for that. And they shall not come near me to minister to me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. And so, the ministers and the prophets and the teachers who lead God's people astray, they are not going to have a light sentence from God when the time comes. Because they should have known better. Because the damage they caused was great. And God made that very plain. Even with Moses. When he gave a commission to Moses and Aaron, you go and you speak to the rock. In other words, let the people of Israel know who is the one that is doing it all. And instead of that, they went and spoke to the people and hid the rock. And God said, I'm not going to forgive you that. You're not going to enter into the land. Both of you are going to die in the wilderness. And let's not talk about it anymore. You see, God is not a respecter of persons. That's what James says. Don't be many masters. And if we're teaching others, we have to make sure that what we are teaching is correctly and true from the law of God, not lies and deceptions that is going to bring a great destruction of many. Because that's how God feels about all these people that lead these people astray. You know, I feel so strongly, so personally about it, that he raises his hand and he swears that he's going to have an oath against them and he's going to hold them guilty and not guiltless. And he's not going to forgive their iniquity and he's going to make them bear their iniquity and pay the penalty for it. And he's not talking about he's not going to forgive them so they will uh, have to be put to death, but he's not going to forgive them certain things that they've done, just like he was not about to forgive Moses no matter what. No matter what Moses was to him. He was his friend who saw him face to face. He was not about to forgive him. That iniquity no more than he was uh, uh, later on going to forgive David for what he had done. And he made him pay for it through the nose. And he made the apostle Paul pay through the nose for what he had done to him. Before that, when he was persecuting his church. And Paul knew it. And there was no forgiveness for certain things that we commit in this life. So let's take it very seriously. Especially those who are in the ministry. Or rabbis, pastors, teachers, whatever. Verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Tzadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the eternal God. This is Jesus Christ speaking. So were the sacrifices done away with? Those who are teaching otherwise are going to be in this category. Verse 16. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my, my table to minister to me. And they shall keep my charge. As for the others who are leading people astray with all kind of lies because they themselves are deceived, they are going to bear their punishment and iniquity. 
And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. And then when he goes back into uh, the instructions that were given in Exodus 28 uh, and then Exodus 39, you know, for the priesthood and the garments and all those things that are supposed to, to wear, this is all the same story. As Christ said, don't think that I ever came to destroy anything of the law. Everything is going to be there and remain there, be magnified. So for people thinking, you know, we've got our religion, you've got your religion, you Jews, you've got your God, and we've got our God, you've got your covenant, we've got our covenant, we're a New Testament church, you're an Old Testament church, these are all liars, deceivers. These are the kind of people that God says, you're not going to come before me. You're lying to people in my name. Many shall come in my name saying that I'm the Christ and teach, yes, much about me, and then deceive many. How do you deceive many? When you teach contrary to the law, to the word of God, which is from Genesis to Revelation. That's how. So we have to fear and tremble before the word of God. Verse 18. And they shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies, and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. Because sweat is symbolically uh, seen. God doesn't want anything that stinks, that smells, because, you know, that symbolizes sin. So all those things have spiritual connotations. There's nothing physical there. It's all spiritual. Verse 19, when they go out to the outer court, to the outer court of the, uh, to the people, they shall take of their garments in which they have ministered, just like Aaron had to do, and you know, his sons, and so forth, and so forth, to the time of Christ. You know, as his, a history of 3,500 years never changed. And throughout the millennium and beyond that. <clears throat> Leave them in the holy chambers and put no other garments. And in their holy garments they shall not sanctify the people. Because those holy garments are only when they appear before God himself. To offer the sacrifices that are only to God and to God only. Not for the people. But when they come before the people they are going to take all those things off. So you see the differences in relationship there. And verse 20, and so it is even for his wife. His wife is, is, is going to uh, appear before him, but the children are not going to be allowed into the temple to appear before him. They are not Israelites, circumcised in the flesh and in the spirit. Verse 20, and they shall neither shave their heads, nor let their hair grow long. And yet there are those people that say, well, Jesus Christ had long hair. A lot of them hanging around with long hair. And I think that's holy. God says that's an abomination unless you're a Nazarite. You know, it's a shame for a man to have long hair, as the Apostle Paul said. Doesn't even nature teach you that? But it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And a lot of people hanging around with long hair and depicting, you know, supposedly the Savior and his disciples and all others with long hair. Shows you what manner of spirit they are. Verse 21. No priest shall drink wine when he enters into the inner court. In other words, otherwise you can and you remember the story of the two sons of Aaron who were witnesses with Moses of the covenant as they came up to the mount before God and ate before God and saw God. God had to kill them because they did not obey this law. And so people think, well, our little laws, you know, they don't really count. God, God doesn't mind very much about them, you know, just big ones, just Ten Commandments. You know, you break a little one, you put, you know, put to death too, not only big ones. And so he said, you don't drink wine. In other words, don't come drunk before me. And that was the problem of the sons of Aaron. Just had a little bit too much to drink. And so they did not make a difference between the holy and the profane in terms of the fire. And no priest shall 
drink wine when he enters into the inner court, that is, when he comes before God, and they shall not take as a wife a widow or a divorced woman, but take virgins of the descendants of the house of Israel, or widows of priests, and they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy. You see, the holy and the profane. And the ministers don't do it. Rabbis don't do it if they should. They teach their own things. Especially when you say the law is done away with. And even among the Jews, there is that lie that is being taught and has been taught for the last 2,000 years. In the days of Hillel, the days of Christ, they came up with this idea. Well, there are certain laws that are very, you know, of Moses, that is, that God gave Moses, that are a little bit hard to, uh, to uh, accommodate nowadays, you know, because of the, the way of circumstances. For example, you know, people want to make a loan, but, you know, the year of the Jubilee is coming, or, you know, the seven years is coming, and people are going to have to give back land and money and all that. So people say, well, that's not, that's not a good idea to lend to anyone, yet the law of God says you do it no matter what. And I'm going to bless you, don't worry about it. And so they came up with this notion, and he always the one that came up with this notion at that time. He says, well, Moses said that this law is something that we are going to live by, not die by, therefore I cannot keep that law. And that theology became, uh, you know, a very, very preeminent theology in the Jewish community to this very day. So any law that doesn't fit their thinking and understanding, they do away with it, or they change it, or they modify it. And that's what God says to these people. You make a difference between the holy and the profane, and I make the judgment what is holy and what is profane, not you. And the people of God who are ministers, who are servants, who are teachers, must teach the law of God, not their own. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In terms of, of uh, let's say, the clean and unclean, in terms of food, bar, anything else also. Anything that God pronounced to be unclean, it's unclean. That's why Moses says, you better be careful. This is the book of the law, and you do not add to it, and you do not diminish from it. It's not up to you to interpret the Bible the way you think it should be. You go to God if you don't understand exactly something, and he'll tell you. But if they don't have a relationship with God, obviously they've got a problem. Verse 24, in controversy they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. The priesthood was the judicial you know, branch of the government. Not people who are self-appointed and do their own thing and invent their own laws. And they shall keep my laws, not theirs, and my statutes. And in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbath. That's the well, I'm spiritual, I don't need to keep it. And I'd say, well, we don't need to keep statutes and laws and judgments and precepts and all that. We're going to have our own ethics, our own values, our own, our own uh, principles and our own doctrines and call it Christian. Everything is Christian. Now, if those statutes came from God, from God and, you know, and magnified by Christ, nothing wrong about calling it Christian doctrines and, and ethics and principles and all that. But the sinister uh, conspiracy behind it was, is, you know, let's separate between these two religions. We don't want anything to do with the God of the Old Testament, or, you know, the Father, all harsh monster, and you know, we're going to invent our own, so we're going to give it our own terminology, and to this very day they use it. So people don't want to hear about statutes and judgments and precepts and ordinances. You know, this is only the English translation of the Hebrew, but at least, you know, they, they were faithful in that. But even then, they're not interested in that. 
And so they make a separation between the two religions, and that's the reason why, they, why it becomes wrong. Not because on its own, it is, it's not. Nothing wrong with saying, you know, the principles of Christ. Well, if you don't know God as a principle, fine, there's nothing wrong about it. But you see, the, the intent behind it was evil to begin with, and that makes it wrong. And so at least when you say those things, understand what you are talking about, and it's best to even go back to the laws of God, to the statutes of God, because this is the terminology God is using here for our day. When he comes, this is the terminology he's going to use. And this is Jesus Christ speaking here, the God of Israel. Verse 25, you know, he himself came to obey the laws of his father, not to come and found a new religion, and so they call him, he is the founder of Christianity. That's another major lie. He didn't come to found any new religion. That was the lie of the great whore in the hearts. So they can, you know, justify their, their own Ill illegitimacy. That's what invented this terminology and this theology, and people say it and parrot it without even thinking to this very day. And talk about Christianity and Christianity. Where on earth in the Bible do you see this word to begin with? God calls it my way. This is the way in which you shall walk. And people say, well, we, we don't like to use your language. God says, well, the day will come when I'm going to give you a pure language. Language, you know. You're going to use my language, not yours. Verse 25. And they shall not defile themselves by coming near a dead person, only the, for father or mother, for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister. May they defile themselves. Just all the laws that were given in the past. Nothing has changed. That's what God says. Don't think that I came to destroy the law. It's still there. It's going to be there until you know, all things are fulfilled. And after he is cleansed, they shall count seven days for him. And on the day that he goes to the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering in the inner courts, Says the eternal God, this is Jesus Christ speaking. Always remind yourself who is speaking. And what is his religion? What is his law? What is his constitution? What is his government? And the unlearned come to the New Testament and because they think it's a new religion and a different one, though they ought to know better because they're going to be the people of God and have the Holy Spirit. And they don't see much about government. So, well, God, Christ really didn't talk much about government. Why should he? He said it all along at time and again and again and again. From Genesis, through the book of Moses, through the prophets. Does he have to repeat himself you know, in everything that he ever said before in the New Testament? If you understand that this is the same God, why should he repeat himself? And so when people say that, they actually reveal their ignorance. And the fact that they're still in Babylon believe the lies of Babylon. That's why they speak like that. And so you're reading the words of Jesus Christ here, the God of Israel. That's what Paul made very plain. That rock that they followed, the spiritual rock, is Christ, though. He gave us an awful lot of instructions about government and how to govern his people. And, of course, there were different administrations, too, depending on time. Sometimes prophets did it, sometimes judges, sometimes the priest, sometimes the king. But he gave us an awful lot of information. We should never say, well, we don't know much because the New Testament doesn't talk much about it. It's one book. We shouldn't believe the deception that it's two separate books. Well, there are two separate churches. Verse 26. Uh, after he cleansed himself, shall I count seven days for, uh, for him. And on the day that he goes to the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering. So, sin offering is not done away with. Verse 28. It shall be in regard to their inheritance, that I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession, just like in the days of old. 
And they shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering, every dedicated thing in Israel, that's the church of God in Israel, this is Jesus Christ speaking at his coming, shall be theirs. And the best of all the first fruits of any kind, and every sacrifice of any kind, from all your sacrifices shall be the priest. Also you shall give to the priest the first of your ground meal, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. The priest shall not eat anything, bird or beast, that died naturally or was torn by the wild beasts. And in the Old Testament, and that is in the old days, in the days of ancient Israel, God said, well, you can give the wild beast that died uh, to the foreigner, but you don't eat it because you are a holy people. And how much more for the priests? So we should always look at everything from the beginning until the end, and especially when we come to the, new, the so-called New Testament, the writings of the disciples. If you have no background, go back. Go to, you know, to kindergarten. Study the whole thing before we begin to discuss matters of college. And this way you'll be a learned one, not an unlearned one studying something which you have no business studying if you haven't gone to the beginning of the story. And this is what happens. That's why there's an awful lot of ignorance. And that's what for the last 2,000 years. A lot of people are confused and mixed up and are part of Babylon. And God tells us we must come out of Babylon, not be part of it. And for that reason, to this very day, even the people of God, when we read these statements, we should take them personally and know that they are applicable to us too. Anyway, we're going to stop at this point, and I shall say greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.